this morning the Word of God, and we're going to turn to the book of Ephesians. K4 through 6th grade are going to junior church. And I want you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We'll read six verses this morning, and I'll, I'll ask in prayer that God would give me exactly what we need to hear today. Of course, if we uh, just read the Bible and went home, that would be okay too, I guess. But you wanted to come hear the Word of God applied. And so let's go ahead and stand for the reading of God's Word. And uh, verse number one, the Bible says, let's read it together. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to uh, me to you, word, let's read verse three out loud, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of, and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Let's pray. Dear God, I do pray that you bless the reading of your word today. Thank you for it. Thank you for the truth here. But God, I pray that you'd help us as we need a breakthrough in our life. We need, we need to learn more about what your heart is, what your, your intentions are in this world. And uh, Lord, rather than look around and see all the problems and, and back into our shell and say, I'm not going to do anything, uh, there's no point in even giving the gospel out, nobody's listening, there's, there's, there's nothing that's changing, dear God, help us to, uh, to have out of this generation raise up some people that are going to look for revival Lord, that people that are going to have uh, a life that's different than the average Christian. Lord, I know that we think like Americans because that's all we know. And yet 95% of the world out there, uh, they do do things a little different. And, and Lord, maybe it's not going to come from America. Maybe another uh, group of people are going to see revival and it's going to spread throughout the world. But help us, Lord, to do what's right. Help us to seek after revival. Help us to, help us to have that group. May it start from even this church, Lord. And uh, may we see some people that want different than uh, what's been in the last generation. Lord, we're not blaming the last generation, but God, we're seeing that there's some apathy. Uh, it's created apathy. We've seen your hand. We've seen things happen. We, we have the uh, vestiges of revival in our nation. We have some good things. But Lord, we're not experiencing revival. We're kidding ourselves if we think we're, we're, uh, we're really uh, doing right as a nation. So Lord, help us to be broken of that. But uh, Lord, you're working through the church, so help us as the church to do what's right. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated this morning. All right, until the church came about, there was a division between groups of people, the world basically and the Jews, the Gentiles and the Jews, and <clears throat> the circumcised and the uncircumcised. Gentiles had been aliens, they had been outside the camp, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And uh, they didn't have the, the covenants and the promises. They had no hope. They were without God in the world. We saw in, saw in chapter 2, verse 12. But Jesus, in verse 15, we see he broke down the middle wall of partition. And the result was that the Gentiles were no longer strangers and foreigners, but they were fellow citizens. They were saints. And they were of the household of God, right? We saw that they were one nation now. We're one people, one family 
one church or one building. Um, and uh, then you go to verse number one, chapter three. Now here we're, we're, we're progressing through the book. The first few chapters are theological. The last few chapters of Ephesians are more practical. But there's a lot of practical truth in theology. So we'll look at verse number one. And I have circled, if you want to do this, you can. I have underlined the first three words, but circled in particular the second word. For this, this cause. So Paul had a cause. Really, it wasn't his cause. It was God's cause. God's cause was all of chapter 1 and 2. For this, meaning the gospel to the Gentile nations, this cause. I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles. What he's saying, for this cause, I, Paul, am the prisoner of Jesus Christ on behalf of you Gentiles. Because of, because God brought Gentiles into the kingdom of God, Paul became a prisoner for them on their behalf. So Paul is writing the book of Ephesians, sitting in, under house arrest in Rome. And if you follow the progression of his imprisonment in Rome, in this is about AD 62, the reason behind him being there in prison goes all the way back to the fact that he had associated with the Gentiles and brought the Gentiles the gospel. He went back to Jerusalem prior to his arrest. He went back to Jerusalem, and uh, the unbelieving Jews, they said he is, uh, he is um, defiling the temple because of his association with the Gentiles. He ends up getting arrested. He goes to spend some time in Caesarea, and then he appeals to Caesar, and so he ends up all the way across the, 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 the continent in Rome. And so he's sitting here, as a result of his association with the Gentiles. Paul was a Jew. Paul was, Paul was a, a, a man who had been uh, raised up under uh, great education, thoroughly trained in Mosaic law. He knew the law. He was a Pharisee, and yet he associated with the heathen, with the, uh, the ungodly Gentiles, because God told him to. And uh, that's why he's saying now, he said, I am God's prisoner. I'm the Lord's prisoner for you, on your behalf. Isn't that awesome? For this cause, because the gospel was to go to the Gentiles. This cause, I am a prisoner. And uh, he says in verse number two, and we'll read down to verse five. If ye have heard of this dispensation of grace of God, which is given to me to you, so he's speaking to Gentiles. Remember, the grace of God is now to the Gentiles. He's saying, verse 3, how that by revelation, so God showed him something, he, um, uh, God, by revelation, he has made known unto me the mystery. What mystery? Well, uh, verse 4, whereby when he heard, he may understand my knowledge in the, again, mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. See, Paul had the mystery revealed to him. The mystery that was revealed to Paul and the other apostles and prophets was in verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs with the saints. That's a mystery to the Jews. That doesn't make any sense. You know, uh, we preach Christ. The preaching of the cross to the Jews it was, if you know, answer, class, it was a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it was foolishness. God bringing it all together, all the nations of the world, under one umbrella, Jesus Christ, 
That was a mystery to those in the Old Testament, but now it's revealed to the apostles and then the New Testament prophets by the Spirit of God. And uh, we see that uh, after Paul's vision on the road of Damascus, or to Damascus in Acts 9, that Christ, in verse 15, appointed Paul as the chosen vessel to be the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter had been the uh, called to be the one to preach to the Jews, and uh, God called Paul through his revelation that he might preach Christ to the Gentiles. Peter preached mainly to the Jews. Paul preached to the Jews, but mainly to the Gentiles. Paul was the apostle to the, the Gentiles. That became the mission that consumed the rest of his life. Paul was well qualified to be this apostle. We wonder why did he call, why did God call Paul? A man who uh, wrote a big chunk, most of the New Testament, and he was yet very well qualified to do the job. He was educated in the law under Gamaliel. He also received a classical Roman education in Tarsus where he grew up. He had the ability to argue his point from Jewish law and also to illustrate it from Greek literature. By the way, it was not through his excellency and his, uh, his ability to speak as the book of uh, 1 Thessalonians tells us, it was not through the, the words that he said per se. It was always the power of God that he rested in, and so should we. May we not be, uh, may we not be hindered from sharing the gospel with somebody just because we say, I haven't been saved very long. You don't have to be saved more than two seconds to tell somebody else how to be saved. How to, be, how to receive Jesus Christ. You know, salvation, uh, our testimony is the greatest tool to give in uh, giving the gospel out. Our presentation doesn't have to be more complicated than us just saying how we receive Jesus Christ. Salvation and, and, and sharing the gospel and uh, evangelism is very simple. Somebody put it this way. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. That's not that hard, is it? And we might not be able to say how the bread was made. We might not be able to pay for the bread. Because we're a beggar, we can't afford the bread, but we know where we can get it. And uh, I'm so thankful that it didn't require me to sit in classes and go to church and, 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 to, uh, and to be a good person because I could try all that I could in my flesh. But frankly, my friends, this morning, none of us are good enough. None of us are good enough to inherit eternal life. We are beggars spiritually, and we need to uh, receive the salvation that we have. We can't earn it. We have to receive it. It's a gift of God. And so Paul was a, a man who uh, knew how to, uh, to argue the law, and he could uh, illustrate it from the Greek literature. Paul's training as a Pharisee, also allowed him access to the synagogues. Paul's Roman citizenship opened doors of opportunity also throughout the Roman world. He appealed to Caesar, so he, as a Roman citizen, got to go to Rome and, uh, and share the gospel there. So this cause, in verse number one, we see that phrase, this cause, was Paul's ministry to the Gentiles. That was the reason 
he went to prison. The unbelieving Jews uh, who were in Jerusalem, if you remember the story where Paul came back, he had been uh, around in Gentile uh, cities collecting an offering to bring back to Jerusalem. Well, the Jews didn't like what he was doing there. And uh, he ended up in jail. He ended up in Rome. And because God brought the Gentiles into the kingdom, and because Paul's ministries was to him, he did become a prisoner on their behalf. Go to uh, verse number one. See that then again. Then again there. For this cause, I Paul. Now he says he's the prisoner of Jesus Christ, but he says it's for you, for you. Paul went to prison for the cause. Of the gospel. And he was happy to do it. My friend, what are you and I willing to give up for the gospel? What are we holding on to? What are we, what are we not willing to give up for the gospel? What is it that's keeping us from, from sharing our faith with someone? For many people, they're afraid, they're intimidated because they're concerned that somebody is going to laugh or ridicule or mock them. They're afraid that they're not going to say the right words. They're afraid that they're going to let God down somehow. But Paul, although he was gifted and talented, he was not relying on all of those things. God used his abilities, but ultimately it's the power of God. It's the power of God that works through the evangelist and the soul winner. And all of us should be a soul winner. If you know Jesus Christ, you should be passionate about telling other people about the gospel and sharing what God has done for you. Amen. And uh, I, I just want you to think, what is it that we are holding on to? What is it that's keeping us from giving the gospel to our neighbor? Next door, I have two neighbors, actually three now. Two of them are saved. So I say three. It was a mom and a dad, and their adult daughter now lives with them again. The mom and the daughter are saved. The daughter just got saved a year ago. The dad, who we've been working on, he's come to church here probably twice, maybe three times. And we are working. He's the nicest guy in the world, but we know he has not received Jesus Christ as his personal Savior yet. That's my goal. My goal is to see him come before he, get, before he passes into eternity, which really, my friend, that could happen at any moment. But he is getting up in years. He's had multiple knee surgeries. He's struggling with that. Uh, and he is, his mom has passed away recently. He's gone through a lot of difficulty, but my goal is to see my neighbor get saved. I have um, a few other neighbors that aren't as friendly, one in particular, and God's dealing with me right now to develop a burden for them. Now, I don't see other than miraculous to even give it, to have a, an audience with this one neighbor because he's so obstinate. And thankfully, he doesn't live next door or across the street. It's a block away. But he sought me out and tried to cause, be antagonistic with me for some reason. But my goal there is for him to get saved. But God needs to do a work in his heart 
and a work in my heart even to be able to break through that barrier that's there. Some of us have those situations. Some of, us, some of us, some of you, it might not be a block away. For some of you, it might be right in your very own house. There's somebody that is very hard to the gospel and very difficult to deal with. And somebody that is uh, actually antagonistic, causing problems, trying to be difficult, and um, I always say, too, one thing, when somebody is so hard and difficult when it comes to witnessing, don't give up hope, because there's probably a couple things going on. Because they're so upset and angry and disturbed by you coming to them with the gospel message and just sharing the love of Christ, they're probably under deep conviction. And they're probably, uh, they're probably a little bit confused, obviously confused spiritually, but they're trying to put it all together because the devil is so deceitful. He blames the curse of man, the world's problems on God to a lot of people. A lot of people think God is the cause of all of the sin and destruction and, and hurt and sorrow in this world. My friend, we know it was man that destroyed God's perfect creation. And so that is a hard thing for some people to grasp, though, if they don't have uh, understanding of God and they're, they don't believe the Bible or whatever it is, and uh, maybe they're just trying to look for an excuse, uh, somebody to blame their hurt on. The devil's always ready to put God in that place, right? The devil's always trying to get people to curse God and to blaspheme God and to defame God. And so that is what the world does. And so as much as people are blaspheming him, taking his name in vain, cursing him, and are, are taking it out on us, don't forget, it's probably because they're under great conviction. Because there's a God in heaven whose Holy Spirit loves them. God loves them and his Holy Spirit is convicting them. And uh, it's not a comfortable place to be. It's not an easy place to be. And my friend, probably such were some of you. Under conviction, angry at God, but also angry at God's messenger. And so let us not give up on those that God is reaching and working to, uh, to soften up that heart. He's working on them. And sometimes he brings hurt into their life, allows hurt to come into their life to get their attention and people still have a free will. God doesn't force anyone into heaven. God allows them to choose to receive or reject. And so let's not give up on that neighbor. Is it maybe the fact that they're angry with you that keeps you from giving the gospel again? Is it that they're uh, argumentative? Is it that they're, uh, they're just, uh, they don't, you might think even the devil tries to trick us as Christians. They don't deserve it. Well, my friend, none of us deserve it, okay? So don't listen to that. Is it because you think that uh, they're, uh, they're just, um, they're, they've never listened to you in the past, so they're never going to listen to you now? I've heard of stories where people have gone time and time again to witness to somebody, and it wasn't until the last days of their life that they finally opened up and their heart softened enough for them to finally say, yes, I want to receive Jesus Christ. It took the person so off guard they couldn't believe that they were getting saved. But their heart 
opened up in that last few minutes. Let us not give up on people. What we need to do, number one, is be in prayer. Be in prayer for their soul. Before we ever give a gospel witness, we should be in prayer for the souls of the ones that we're going to talk to. I think of uh, um, uh, back years ago in Bristol, England, there was a man named George Mueller. And uh, he had two people in his life that were not saved, that he was so burdened for. This man was a man of God, a man of great faith, a man of faith that uh, this generation probably has not even seen yet. And uh, he, uh, over a hundred years ago, prayed in food every day for the thousands of orphans that they would take care of in these orphanages. And uh, God did miracles. They were without food, and uh, they needed uh, to put some breakfast on the table, and they had nothing in the cupboards. And then all of a sudden they get a knock on the door and after they prayed, and uh, there was a man who had a, a, a wagon breakdown full of bread or milk, and it happened multiple times. God delivered. God met the need. This man prayed in all of that, but he couldn't get through to these two friends. He prayed, they say, for over 60 years for these two people to get saved. And guess what? They didn't get saved until after George Mueller went to heaven. But they did get saved. Our first thing, our first objective is to be in prayer. Be in prayer. We cannot do anything outside of prayer. When we go to witness on Saturday morning, we go in prayer. We need to go prayed up. How are we going to do anything? It's not our words that are going to change anyone. It's nothing that we can do or say. But the gospel is effective. But it, it's, it's powerful when the Holy Spirit speaks through us and gives that witness. And it only comes through uh, a heart that is, that is trusting God. And we have to go in prayer. And so what is it that's going to keep us from giving out the gospel? What are we willing, by the way, to give up for the gospel? God had to do a pretty big work in Paul's life to bring him to the point where he was willing to go to jail for Gentiles. Paul was a Jew from the best of families. He was a Pharisee. He was an ardent observer, if you will, of the law. Everything he did was kosher, okay? Everything he did was, was to the T. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He did not believe in uh, the radical cult leader Jesus. In fact, he was a zealous persecutor of Jesus' followers. He felt that only the Jews would go to heaven. He believed that. And yet here we have him in the book of Ephesians writing from a Roman jail or from a house arrest. And he's writing in chapter 3 verse 1. He's saying for this cause. For this cause. What? The, what cause? The fact that God had opened the gospel up to the whole world. Not just to Jews. For this cause I am the prisoner of Jesus Christ for your sake. On your behalf I am here in jail. He's not saying that from a heart of bitterness or from a heart of, uh, oh, woe is me. Feel sorry for me. I'm doing this for you. And uh, you deserve, you, you owe me one now. No, he wasn't saying that. He was saying, I love God so much. I love Jesus Christ so much that it has given me a heart of compassion and love for the whole world. And so here he is in prison. It's for this cause that I'm writing to you in jail. It's on your behalf that I do this. He's in prison for the cause of Christ, the gospel to all nations. So he went to, uh, from being a proud Pharisee 
to a humble servant of all. Philippians chapter 2, if you would uh, look there sometime, but Philippians 2, let this mind be in, uh, be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. What mind? A mind of humility, a mind that would humble himself, would, would, would come all the way from heaven's glory, from a place of perfection. God sent his son, Jesus, to go to earth. As I've said it before, the worst neighborhood in the, plant, uh, uh, in the, in the solar system, okay? He came to the worst neighborhood in the galaxy. And he not only came to the worst neighborhood, he came to the, uh, the worst people, the, the, the lowest of the low. He associated with sinners and uh, people that were not just sinners, because we all are sinners, but people that even society called sinners, you know you've really hit bottom when the world calls you a sinner. And so he comes to the worst of the worst of the worst. And you think it wasn't a very safe place. Because, uh, you know, the Middle East is always a hostile place. And here he comes to a place where the, uh, the, uh, the, the, um, the leader of the region, Herod, he uh, wants all of the boy, the male babies killed, two, two years and under. And so his parents, in the middle of the night, Jesus is born in a stable. And the message comes later that there's going to be, a, uh, there's gonna be a, a scourge coming to uh, the area that they needed to get out. And God directed Joseph and Mary to leave that little place in Bethlehem and go all the way to Egypt. Here they are, basically an illegal immigrant, moving out of where they were, uh, out, out of a place that wasn't really even their home to begin with. And they go from Bethlehem to Egypt. And, uh, and it was a dangerous place. His, uh, his life was at stake from an early age. And Jesus did that for us. Jesus for this cause, experienced brokenness. Paul, for this cause, experienced brokenness. He's in prison for the cause of Christ. And here he is, the, the servant of all. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who made himself of no reputation. He humbled himself, became a servant, Mark 10, 45, for the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. See, Jesus could have said, well, here I am to, to, uh, to, cause, uh, to, to bring the gospel, you know, you know, to, to, to bring salvation to you, so you need to come and, and uh, worship uh, and b- bow down and kiss my big toe and uh, make my life comfortable here. And uh, he could have demanded uh, a palace. He could have demanded all of these things. But no, God, uh, in his providence and in his sovereignty, in his uh, in, in his all powerful wisdom, he designed a plan that would show to all mankind that God wants to associate with the people that the world even, the world rejects. He came as a servant and he gave us his very best. And so that's what God expects of us. Paul finally got it. He experienced this brokenness. See, there's... Uh, Something all of us need to come to, and that's the place of being broken. Broken. 
broken for the cause of Christ. Broken for others. See, we don't, we don't live that way. We think me first. It's my career first. It's my money. It's my choice. See, the world worships, our, our, our society worships choice even over life. Because we're so full of ourselves. This humanistic mindset has even pervaded Christianity. What I want is more important than what God wants. See, we want salvation and we want all the fringe benefits, but we don't want to do anything in return. See, salvation's free, my friend, but it wasn't free to God. It was free to us, and we get to partake in this wonderful free gift, but it's free to us because we can't do anything for it. We, there's nothing we could do. So that's why God had to do all that he did. He sent his precious son to pay the ultimate price for our salvation. And so may we be broken of the mindset of me first, my priority, my will, my life. See, uh, a pastor of the church is supposed to be the example of a servant. And so that's why uh, Paul put it in as qualification for a pastor to not be self-willed. Not to be self-willed. Not to be my priority, what I want. See, as a leader of a church, you have to be a leader, but it's not always what I want. We work together. It's all of us together. But the same is true for God. It's not my will, thine be done. Even Jesus gave us the wonderful example as the, the servant there in the Garden of Eden. Or, uh, not the Garden of Eden, the Garden uh, of Gethsemane. And uh, he was in the Garden of Eden too, by the way. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was there uh, pouring out his heart to his heavenly Father. But what does he say? Not my will, but thine be done. Brokenness. Brokenness. Are we broken enough that we would give our lives? Would we go to prison for the gospel? Would we give our life up? Would we give our time up? See, my friend, we're not going to go to jail for the gospel and for others until we are willing to give a few hours a week for others. How much do we give? How much are we centered on self? See, it's a big problem. And it's something that is so easily remedied, though. It's a change of the will. It's a change of the will. I understand the flesh is always going to fight us, right? We're always going to have a struggle with this. We're always going to need God's grace. But it's, the, the remedy is simple. It's just saying no to self, no to the flesh, and yes to the Spirit of God. Wherever God leads me, that's where I want to go. I don't know about you, but maybe we need to just get to that point right now where this morning we say, I'm here at Souls Harbor Baptist Church on Sunday morning, the first Sunday of October, and I'm just going to yield my will to God today, just for today. Let's just give him one day, one 24-hour period, and just say from here on forth, I'm going to ask God every day that he would have complete control of my life, that he would, he would dictate to my will. That my will would not be first, but God's will would be number one. I, I, I wish that we had a church this morning that had that kind of submission to God and brokenness to the Lord. That we would be like Paul for this cause. For this cause. Do we have a cause? 
No, our, our cause is not to have a nice life and to have the, uh, uh, all of the trappings of the world and to have a nice big house and a nice big car. If God gives that to us, there's nothing sinful innately in those things. God uses the wealthy as much as he uses the poor, okay? But that should not be our drive. Our drive should not be more, 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 self, self, self. Our drive should be, God, whatever you give to me, I will use it for your service. God, whatever you do for me, I will, I will be the channel of blessing to other people. We really have to fight that mindset here in America. Some places in the world, it's pretty, pretty easy to give everything to God. Because when you have nothing, it's easy to give it all. And you know, my friend, sometimes that's why God takes everything from us. So we can just say, okay, God, finally, I'll, I'll give it all to you. Here you go. See, it's easier for a, a camel, as the Bible says, Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Because the wealth, the trappings of the world are a huge distraction from spiritual uh, uh, surrender, being broken. See, a wealthy person has to give up more. They have to surrender more. See, the Bible says, to whom much is given, much more shall be required. If God, if God allows somebody to have more, well, they have to, more is required of them. That's why it's so hard for the talented sometimes to give their talent to the Lord. Because there's so many other ways they could use their gifts and their talents that aren't, aren't for God. And the world lauds them and says, wow, what an awesome ability they have. Maybe it's music or an athletic ability or something else. And, and they use that to make money and to, and to promote themselves and to put themselves first when, when they could just give it to God and let God be glorified and let God take that talent and let God use it. But it's so hard for somebody who has a lot to give up. You might be saying this morning, I don't have much to offer God. But maybe count yourself, count yourself blessed when you don't have a whole lot because you don't have to give up a whole lot to be surrendered to God. And if you're saying this morning, I have a lot. God's given me a lot. God's given me a family. God's given to me a, a house or a car. God's given to me a really good job. This morning, it's easy to just give your will over to God, but every day doing that, that's going to be the hard thing. So this morning, I want you to say, if you would, if this is from your heart, just pray to God. We'll have every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. Just pray to God and say, Lord, whatever you want from me, I'm yours. Everything I have. From the tip of my head, to the top of my head, to the bottom of my feet. God, it's all yours. Now, my friend, when we give it all to God, we're also giving up telling God how he's going to use everything, okay? That's what surrender means. So this morning, you give it to the Lord. You give your life over to him. You give your, 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 your will. You give your talent, your treasure, you give him everything. And God's going to do something 
beyond what we could even imagine, what we, beyond what we could ask him to do. He will do greater things with our family than we could ever imagine. He will do greater things with our family than we could do on our own, in our flesh. But it's going to require us to take our, our death grip off of the things that mean so much to us. You see why God tested Abraham with his son Isaac. It was a confusing thing, but Abraham trusted God. He had faith in God with something that was so precious to him. God gave us his son Jesus, broken, broken for us. Paul, and and others in the Bible too, but Paul, our example today, broken, broken to reach the Gentiles. He was the only uh, apostle that was named as an apostle to the Gentiles. Broken. Is his life one that we would say was glamorous? Of course not, not glamorous. His life before Christ was more glamorous, but after Christ, he actually was a productive servant of God. And that's where we have to be. We have to just turn our back on our ambition and turn our back on what we want and say, Lord, please use my life. Are you with me this morning? I give it all to you, Lord. I give it all to you. May we have a church here today that does that, that that gives it all to God, that lays it all out. That's what surrender is. That's why we have an altar. We come and we just surrender it to God. We say, not my will, but your will, Lord. You know better than I do. I'm a steward. I'm here to manage it, but only by your direction. We need wisdom. We need wisdom. But before wisdom comes surrender. We need to come to God. Says James says, if a man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. And that requires us to be humble. That requires us to admit, we got a problem. We need help, Lord. Uh, Lord, I, I can't do it. I gotta let you help me. Lord, you need to, you need to you need to step in. And God, I'm giving it over to you. May we this day, let's all stand together as we close our service in prayer this morning. May we this day give it all to God. If you would come and pray with me today. Thank you.